Good morning. This morning we will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We're just going to do one verse. Yes. One verse. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you something that you may not may already know or may not already know, if that makes any grammatical sense. I am not the man that I used to be. Uh, and I'm not talking about spiritually speaking. I'm definitely not the man I used to be spiritually speaking. But in a fit, I used to be. Even as of 24 hours ago, I'm not the man that I used to be. I've grown up. I've changed. I've probably gained a little bit of weight while I've been here. But... <laughs> Y'all have been a very big blessing in that area. But the, the big reason why I'm not the man I used to be is simply this. I've lost skin cells. I've, I've aged. My hair has fallen out. and All the things that happen when you grow older have happened to me in the last 24 hours. And so I'm, I'm literally not the man that I used to be. The man before you was not the man that I was four weeks ago when I started here. And um, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is very much the same thing. It tells us the same thing in a spiritual sense. It tells us that we are not who we used to be. And the, the title of the message is, just as you see on the bulletin, it's Old Made New. Um, and if you'll bear with me for just a minute, we're going to see from just one simple verse that this is a very big deal. That what Scripture has to tell us about the old person is, who the old person is, and who the, old, who the new person is now that that's a very very big deal and it should be you know not only to us but it's a very big deal to god and if it's a big deal to god it should be a big deal to us amen if it's a big deal to god it should be a big deal to us amen here we go that's better um this morning for those of you who are type a's and want to know where we're going and want to know the outline i'm going to go ahead and show all my cars to you this morning we're going to look at four changes that Jesus Christ brings about. And those four changes are going to be that He changes the placement in our life. He changes the purpose in our life. He changes the perspective in our life. And then lastly, He changes our privilege in life. So our placement, our purpose, our perspective, and our privilege. And if you would, with me, even though if you would stand with me, if you are physically able this word this morning, it reads as follows. Corinthians chapter 5, reading out the New American Standard this morning, it reads as follows. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new The old things pass new things have come. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege that we have had this morning to get to sing to you, to get to and our tithes and our offerings. Now as we get to hear your word, Lord, I pray that you would give me strength and unction to preach your truth boldly. Lord, that you would keep us awake. Lord, but most of all, you would change us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and do your work as only you can in our hearts. And give us ears to hear and hearts to listen, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would go ahead and be seated for me. So the first thing Jesus Christ 
uses our place. Two very, very simple words. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Two words, in Christ. That's a location change. We are somewhere else. We're not where we used to be. In fact, we viewed Galatians 3, verses 27 and 29 say this. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. You are clothed with Christ. Now, if you will permit me this morning to give you a physical illustration. Now, I'm going to tell you on the front end, a little disclaimer, don't expect this from your preacher every Sunday morning. All right? I'm not one of those guys that is going to have a physical illustration every Sunday morning. But as I was studying through this, uh, the Lord kind of showed me that, that I, can, I can give you a physical representation of something. And since, since we all know what hunting is around here, I'm going to use some hunting gear uh, as my example. So, uh, Clint, if you would come on up. I picked on Clint earlier. He knew he was getting into this. I'm not just coming out in the middle of a sermon. And those of you who have ever hunted in the middle of December when it's been snowy, recognize this. It's a pair of coveralls. I'm going to see if I can get this off. There we go. And these are warm, so I'm going to do my... I probably need to be up here for two minutes. Don't put a timer on me, okay? <laughs> okay, all right, come on up. Now, this is a pair of coveralls. Now, Clint, I'm going to ask you to do something weird. I don't want you to put these on. All right, I'm going to do my best to put these on you. So if you need to grab one of my shoulders or my head or do whatever you need to do to keep your balance, feel free to, okay? And if he trips and falls, choir, you catch him, okay? All right, here we go. Let's get these legs first. All right, so let's have your left leg first. Man, you're making it difficult with boots. Okay, you're going to add another layer of fun here. Okay, that's all right. I knew I should have unzipped this to begin with. Let's try that again. There we go. All right, there's one leg no like i said i knew i should have done this to begin with let's try that again there we go all right where's leg number two right there all right you got it maybe possibly how many monkeys does it take to get a coverall on thank you all right here we go all right how you doing man good to see you good morning morning <laughs> All right, put that arm down for me. Here we go. All right, now I'm not going to zip it up because I don't want you to fall out on me. Okay. All right? But y'all turn and turn and face them. Ain't he good looking? Where'd he go? I can't see him. Um, verse, verse, uh, verse 23, Galatians says, For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. He literally been clothed with my coveralls, okay? Here's why... I, Here's why I bring this up. This says you are in Christ. He's physically in these coveralls. Okay? When you become a Christian, when you put on God's righteousness, you are clothed in His righteousness. So God goes from seeing Clint Boston to seeing Jesus Christ. When He looks at Clint, He does not see Clint Boston. He sees Jesus Christ, His Son. He does not see Clint's sin. He does not see all the stuff that Clint has had going on in his life. He sees Clint Boston. And he will always see Clint Boston. John chapter 10 tells us that Jesus Christ has Clint. God has Jesus Christ. And nobody is taking his people 
his sheep out of God's hand. So not only is Clint clothed in Jesus Christ's righteousness, but he's not going anywhere. All right? Even if Clint tried to t- try to take my hands off these coveralls, if you think you can. <laughs> yeah, y'all see that. He didn't try, right? Even if, I, even if Clint tried, even if I tried to get out of these clothes, God would not let me. God said, my son was only crucified one time for your sins. You may backslide, but you're still going to be clothed in his righteousness. Your place in God's eyes is in Jesus Christ's righteousness. And you are going to stay there for as long as I am. And God obviously will always exist. So you are clothed in Jesus' righteousness for all of eternity. Amen? All right, I'm going to get you out of this before you fall out and die on me and all that fun stuff. Just kick that over to the side. All right. I'll give it up for Clint. Thank you, Clint. What's amazing about that is according to verse 16, because verse 17 has, therefore, if anyone. What's amazing about that is you are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Verse 16 says, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. So what, what Paul's saying there is, look, when you have Jesus Christ's righteousness on him, whereas before when you were a sinner, you may have looked at Jesus in one way. When you have Jesus' righteousness on you, you look at Jesus in a completely different way. And people see your Jesus in a completely different way. Verse 18 says that we now have a ministry of reconciliation. Verse 21 says that we are the righteousness of God. Not only is God righteous... But we are the righteousness of God. Verse 20 is we are ambassadors for God. I don't know if you guys if you know what an ambassador is, but um, we have uh, embassies for the United States all throughout the world. And an ambassador is somebody who goes to another nation and speaks on behalf of that nation. But what's amazing is if you're in that embassy, and let's use, um, let's use a friendly country, Germany. If you are at the embassy in Germany, that embassy is considered American soil. You may be in the nation of Germany, but that embassy is considered American soil. If you are an American in trouble, you can go to that embassy and Germany can't touch you. And the rights and privileges of being an American are in that embassy. And when somebody gets in trouble in that nation, the ambassador speaks for America. They have the authority to speak for America. As, as Christ's children, as Christ's sons and daughters, God's sons and daughters, we have the authority and the privilege to speak for God when we are in Christ. Do you think God needs us to speak for Him? Uh, no. God is sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He can save who He wants to save, but He uses us, very mortal, inf- finite beings, to speak in his authority for him. That is a huge privilege. And that should get us fired up when we get the doors of the church. We get to speak for Christ. Well, not only do we get to speak for Christ, but we have in our 
lives when we are in Christ, it changes our purpose. Jesus Christ changes our purpose. The second half of verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Some, some translations say a new creation. Now, if you'll remember with me, back in Genesis chapter 1, God created everything. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was formless and without Without anything, it was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then it continues on. And God spoke everything to existence. Well, if something is a new creation, it has never existed before. Right? God has never been a new creation. Amen? God has always been, right? Even the Big Bang Theory, which it was a bunch of hooey, but anyway, even that was a new creation if you want to go that route. But when God said it, He spoke it into existence. The physical creation of Genesis was new. And it was a miracle. But what Jesus is talking about here is not a physical new creature. It's a spiritual new creature. Which is also a miracle. Because God does something in us that has before with every single human being. He does the supernatural. Because God is God of the supernatural. Amen? He takes something that is dead as a brick, which we're going to get into in a minute, which has no life. Okay, you're new now. It is a new creation. Well, what, I mean, hippopotamus is when God made a hippopotamus, a hippopotamus had a, had, a, had a purpose in life. Mosquitoes, heaven forbid, I'm about to say this, but mosquitoes have a purpose. I don't know what the purpose is, but they have one. Well, what? created we have a new creation in God what's that purpose we have a general purpose and then we have a specific purpose and if you guys will hang with me for just 30 seconds through the Bible preparing for this I found uh, more than 10 things but I found 10 things that give us the general purpose for every believer so this is not, there, there's no person in this room that is exempt right now from what I'm about to read. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is you. This is your purpose. Even if you don't necessarily serve anywhere in the church, this is your purpose. And I'm going to do my best to go a little bit quickly and read the Bible verses. If you want them at the end of the uh, service today, I will be happy to give them to you. Um, but we're just going to read this. They are not in any kind of hierarchy order. Number one, loving Him, loving God, Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. Loving other human beings, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. Obeying God, First Samuel fifteen twenty-two. Serving His church, First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twelve through thirty-one. Witnessing, Acts one eight. Making disciples, Acts twenty-eight verses eighteen through twenty. Giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, Matthew 10, Matthew chapter ten verse twenty-two. Being baptized. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Praying. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And last but not least, be holy. Leviticus 11, verse 44. And that's just 10 things. Now that's the general purpose for a new creation. And there are two purposes. There's the general purpose, which is what everybody should be doing. And then there's a specific purpose, which is for each individual Christian. And the question there is going to be, well, what's my specific purpose? 
And the answer is, I can't tell you. You have to determine what your natural gifts are, what your natural skills and talents are. Um, I would recommend if you uh, have never taken a spiritual inventory test, take a spiritual gift test and pray to God and say, Lord, what, what is my purpose as your child in your church to serve your body? I have a general purpose, but how do I live this general purpose out in the specific arena? And God will tell you because he wants you to do something specific for his church. Every single one of you has a specific purpose. Well, how do you do that? How do you, how do you head down that road from going, okay, I have a general to having a specific purpose to find that? Well, that gets us to our third change. It gets us to our third change. Jesus Christ gives us a change of perspective. Because the first thing you have to do when you become a new Christian, new Christian is realize, hey, my perspective just changed. I have Jesus now. Jesus is clothing me. My perspective needs to change. And we see that in the third section of verse 17. It says, the old things passed away. And it's that same usage that we say when somebody, when somebody dies and they pass away. It's that same word. It's, they're dead. Now, um, Forgive me if this sounds uh, a little bit more. And, and I'm certainly not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. So if I do hurt your feelings, please forgive me. Um, I have. And unfortunately, I have some that have died and did not know Jesus. And as a result, the Bible says they are in hell. There is nothing I can do for you. You're dead. If you are physically dead. You're just that. You're dead. Yes, Jesus Christ raised folks from the dead. He raised a best friend of his from the, from the dead, Lazarus. But did Lazarus die eventually? Yes. Yeah, he came out of that grave and he stank to high heaven, but he went right back into that grave at some point later on in life. He still stayed dead. Now, what does this matter? Just as... Dead people physically have marks. And I, and I don't just mean that you know, they don't go anywhere. If you are a medical examiner, you know the sign of a dead person. You know what to look for. You can look in their bodies and see the cause of death. Right? Well, just as that happens in the physical sense, the Bible tells us that that also happens in the spiritual sense. That there are marks for people that are spiritually dead. And what's interesting, it's in a passage that we probably have all heard before because it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Well, right before that, Paul mentions the works of the flesh. And he says this, it's in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh, in other words, you've got to actively make the decision to do this. This isn't as if somebody in the world sits back and just says, they have to actively pursue this. And the Bible speaks to it and says this, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. And then Paul's like, and in case I forgot anything, and anything similar. So it's like he gives us this laundry list of these horrible things, and he says, and in case I left anything off, anything that might give the appearance of those things. 
He said, I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You want to know how you can find a dead person is in this world? Somebody who doesn't know Jesus, somebody who is spiritually lost, look at their actions. And if their actions line up to what I just read, there's a really, really good chance, especially if they do it on a regular basis, that they're dead as a brick. And that's what the Bible says. The works of the flesh. Somebody who is not in Christ. But what's interesting is, does a dead person need any help being dead? I mean, think about it. Have you ever walked up? I've never done it. I hope nobody has done it. And, and again, disrespectful. But I've never walked up to a dead person and said, hey, you need help. But I've walked up to some Christians and said, hey, brother, I love you. How can I help you grow in your faith? What, what can I do to help you practice loving Jesus? Dead people don't need any help doing what they're doing. Just like if you look at the world, the world does naturally. They're just doing what they know to do. We can't blame the world for doing what it's doing. But we can blame the church for not doing what it's supposed to be doing, which is making disciples and evangelizing and changing people through the gospel. Well, how do we get them to be to that point? How do we, how do we get folks that maybe even claiming, maybe even claim that they're spiritually alive, which is many people in church, if they're claiming to be spiritually alive, but you can live life, you, you look like you're on that list. I mean, granted, that's a, you look like you're on that list. How do you get them to go, okay, how do we solve this problem? Well, that gets us to the last part of the passage. On from a change in placement and a change in purpose, and a change in perspective, to now we see a change in privilege. The last part of verse 17 says this, Behold, new things have come. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 says this, and this is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. And he's trying to encourage them. And he says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. I, mean, I don't consider myself somebody who has taken hold of the completed Christian. I've not yet arrived. I'm still working on it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind or what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul says I do two things. I forget what's behind me Eyes on. I worry about what's back here. I worry about what's up here. I would venture to say the reason why most Christians don't ever change is because they're still remembering what they used to be. There's still part of them that remembers what they used to be, and they beat themselves up about it. I used to be like this. I used to be like that. Wallow more in that than wallowing and remembering, but Jesus changed me. And when Jesus changed me, God forgave all that. And, forget, and forgiveness means He canceled a debt. So if God doesn't remember that anymore, why in the world should I? 
They don't want to leave things behind. They don't want to forget. Now God isn't saying you're not forgiven. Because there's a difference between forgiveness and forgetfulness. Forgiveness is the debt's been the debt's been paid, it's gone. Forgetfulness is I can't remember that. Why why can't they do that? Well, it says, Behold, new things have it's that same word that, um, that the angel used to Mary when he said, Hail, behold, favor one. It's See, this woman is amazing. It's as if Paul is saying to this church, Behold, new has come. See, you're a new person. You're not who you used to be anymore. Look at yourself. Don't remember that. Look at who you are now. The new is here. What's the privilege of somebody being new? I mean, why is it so wonderful to be new? Well, let me, let me give you an illustration. I, uh, I've never had the, the privilege uh, of buying a new car. I've bought new to me cars, but I've never gotten the privilege to buy a new car. But I have been a newlywed. Yes, I have. Some days I still, well, most days I still try to act like it. But when something happens, now I still remember June 10th, 2006, First, Baptist, or First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee, at Taylor married. ceremony. I went into the front from a side door over here, and I came in, and I was terrified. My knees were quaking so bad. I was like, Lord, please don't let me pass out at my own wedding. That wouldn't be good. Dad, hold me up. I came in, I'm all... 45 degree angle. Okay, not knocking the knees. Right? And then my beautiful bride comes in, and she comes into some organ music from uh, uh, Sound and Music. The name of it was, I just know that's what she came in. And she comes in, and, and I had not seen her as of yet. She just told me, uh, my dress is not strapless. She had been shooting for a dress. She just told me, my dress isn't strapless, but it's still amazing and it's still decent. I was like, sweet. All right. She came down that aisle, they opened up the doors, and she came down that aisle, and inside of me, hallelujah, woo, right? And I'm going, don't faint, don't faint, don't faint, don't faint, right? And she came that, down that aisle, and then that minister performed the ceremony. Well, I walked in, John Irwin Cook. She walked in, Kate Witherington Lindsay. I almost got that middle name wrong, because she's Kate Lindsay Cook now. She walked in, Kate Witherington Lindsay. But when Matt Taylor said, by the authority vested in me by the state of Arkansas in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you man and wife. You may kiss your bride. I said, thank you. And I gave her a kiss. And we walked down that aisle. And when we came two people, we left one. We came in something old, but we left something new. In God's eyes, when he, he doesn't see just Kate anymore, he sees us. And with marriage come privileges, right? And in the eyes of Uncle Sam, you get, or you're supposed to get at least, privileges and health insurance and all this other fun stuff. In the eyes of God, you get certain privileges. You can do things as married people that you're not supposed to do when you're not married. Y'all track it with me. I don't need to go any further now. We'll have a talk about that later on. Well, what's interesting is it's, it's the same way as God. Galatians chapter 
4, verses 6 through 7, it actually says that when we become Christians, that we become sons of God. That we have the privilege of calling God the Father, Abba. And Abba is the most affectionate word in the Hebrew language for a, for a man. It's, it's the equivalent of saying daddy, right? Because y'all know what I mean. Somebody says, I've got a father. Like, oh my, do you, do you want to snood with that, right? And then, and then I love my dad. And you have, you have this mental image of a little boy or a girl running up to the daddy and kneecapping the daddy. And I love you and picking him up, right? It's that affectionate word. Well, that's what it's referring to here. It's, in a, it's a term of affection. We get to call God the Father, Daddy. Here's a thought for you. If we're the sons and daughters of God the Father, what does that make Jesus Christ? And Somebody's thinking it right now, so go ahead and shout it out there. What does that make Jesus Christ? If we're God's sons and daughters, what does that make Jesus? Our brother, which is a, that's weird. Like You're like, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior, and he's, he's, he's like the maker of the universe. He's my brother, right? So if you say, again, as a Christian, I'm not, I don't have a brother, you're lying, because you do have a brother. Maybe not biologically, spiritually, you have a brother. It's Jesus Christ. And that is a privilege that not everybody gets to have. You know how I know? Because not everybody's a Christian. It is a privilege to call God the Father, Abba. It is a privilege to call Jesus Christ our brother. Not everybody gets to do that. And you know why it's even, even a greater privilege? Because as children of God, the Bible tells us that we approach the throne of God boldly. And, and I don't details to what the word boldly means. But we don't need to walk in with our heads down. Hi, God, how you doing? Um, yeah, uh, um, this is happening right now. No, we can walk up to God's stone. God, this is happening right now. Please help me. And God sees us and God hears us because we're his sons and daughters. And he says, I would love to do that for you. I want to bless your soft off. Let me do that for you. But the first step is we got to be his children. Which takes us back to number one, our placement in Christ. How do we get there? Now, earlier I showed you you have to be in Christ. But there's an even bigger step before that. There's an even bigger step before, quote unquote, putting righteousness. You know what that big step is? It's admitting something that you're not going to like to admit. You're a sinner. Romans chapter 3 tells us all have sinned. Everybody, even preacher man, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. But then, the best news ever, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. How do we get to be placed in Christ? We get to be placed in Christ by recognizing we're sinners, but God the Father added the answer. His son Jesus, by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And the amazing thing, guys and gals, is Jesus knew what he was doing when he created the heavens and the earth, and he still did it.
He still created everything knowing he was going to be dying for people. And if you don't know this Jesus, I can claim him. He's my Jesus. If you, if you know Jesus Christ, he is your Jesus. You can claim him. He's your brother. But if you don't know this Jesus, I'd love for you to meet him. If you in a minute, I'm going to give an invitation, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Never prayed to receive Christ. If you've never asked God to change your life, I'm going to lead you in a prayer so that you can do just what you want to. But in a minute, we're also going to do where I want to invite you to have been baptized. I'd like to get baptized. I've been saved. And to God and tell the world. Easter Sunday, we're going to be back people. Or maybe you've been saved and you've been baptized uh, at another denomination or another church, but you found a church home here. You love these people. You love, you love these folks. I love these folks. And you want to join the church. Just come down and tell me. Or maybe you just need to be prayed for. One of the greatest privileges of being a pastor is praying for his sheep. But whatever you need this morning, I want you to do business with our Lord. If you would, just for a brief moment, stand with me and bow your head and close your eyes.